We'll be reading this morning from God's Word in our current study in the book of Ephesians. And here in chapter 5, beginning in verse 22, the Apostle Paul writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without any spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respect her husband. Let's open our Bibles once again to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, and we'll be looking at verses 25 through 27. How do I love my wife? How do I love my wife? Christian husbands are required by God to lead their wives. So you husbands may protest. Well, I don't know how. Or I've tried and I'm not very good at it. Or, my wife knows her Bible and theology way better than I do. Well, news for you guys, none of those excuses will work. God is not going to let you off the hook. You have been appointed by God to lead your wife. I'll give you an example of the situation we find ourselves in here. So when I was working in car rental, at one point I was appointed to lead a team whose work I wasn't familiar with. I knew vaguely what they did, but I'd never used their systems. I didn't know their processes. I I didn't know how to do what they did. But I, my boss said, I want you to lead this team. I'm sure some on that team wondered why I was put in that role and why one of them wasn't elevated to the role to manage that team. Some of them had been doing that for over 20 years. Initially, they were all far more knowledgeable than I was. But it didn't really matter what they thought. It didn't even matter what I thought. I was appointed to lead that team, period. And a boss just gave me my directive. Okay, I've put you over this team and you're now its leader. Well, I wasn't expected to lead the team once I learned everything. 
You know, that that's how, you know, I would have preferred it, right? So, okay, give me some time to learn the role and everything and learn what they do and learn how to help them and troubleshoot their problems and all that. I was appointed to lead from day one. So I set myself to learning. It was a lot of work, a lot of work. And I made mistakes, as you could imagine, while I was learning, because I was learning, right? So, so that required me to be humble. I, I could not. It would have been foolish for me to walk in there thinking, like, I got this. You know, guys, I, I'm your savior. I can do this. I'm going to... I would have fallen flat on my face and I would have had plenty of egg on my face. And No, I had to be humble. But, over time, we became a great team. Husbands, God has appointed you to lead your family. So from the moment that you say, I do, you are appointed to lead, day one. It's not a matter of, well, I give you like ten years to kind of learn the role. No. We're appointed to lead from the start. And your job, husband, is to start leading if you haven't yet. And then to keep learning, keep trying until you become the best leader that you can be for God's glory. And, And that will take you all the way to the end of your life. Okay? Or if your wife precedes you to the end of your marriage in that point, at that point. You have to keep working at it, keep learning, keep trying. You see, we learned back in our study of Genesis 1 and 2 that God created men to lead, to provide, and to protect. And now that's taking on more shape as we look at what is it that God expects for new covenant husbands. What should this look like? Well, this is what it should look like. And this is our main point. Love your wife by leading sacrificing, and serving. And you can see that those things still fit within what he's told us, taught us in Genesis 1 and 2. But now we we have a bit more color to the picture to understand how are we to do this if we are new covenant husbands. If we are under the new covenant, if we are believers in Jesus Christ, how are we to exercise our headship, if you will? We are to love. And, and I'm going to add a couple of things we haven't talked about yet. We're to, to love faithfully and joyfully. And we'll come to that in a moment. So leading is a, a key part of a husband's submitting. Remember back in verse 21, we saw we're in submitting to one another. This is how you are to walk in wisdom, being filled with the Spirit. Then you are submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. Okay, we said that even husbands are going to submit to their wives, not in the way that the world thinks, where you go, okay, honey, what should I do here? And not that at all. But a key part of your submitting, husband, is leading. Now, you're going like, okay, John, that sounds counterintuitive, right? That sounds upside down. Well, actually, it's right side up. The world's view is upside down. But... It should be counterintuitive. Why? Isn't the gospel counterintuitive? How does every religion in the world, except for biblical Christianity, how how do they tell you 
to be saved, to be right with God or their God. Works some in some form. Okay? And so what we say, what we find in the Scriptures about the Gospel is that it is by grace through faith, not by works. Okay? So that we can't boast. It's counter. The gospel is counterintuitive, and so our job as husbands ought to be counterintuitive too. Okay, and and so what we're talking about here, as I've been talking throughout this whole series and everything, is that we must be distinctly Christian. Wives have to be distinctly Christian in the way that they submit to their husbands. Husbands have to be distinctly Christian in the way they lead their wives. Now, the reality is, is that that some men won't sacrifice the precious time and the hard work to lead their wives. Some men do lead, but they do that to get their way. The first, they're both self-centered. The first is self-centered laziness or neglect. The second is self-centered leading. Okay, yeah, I'll lead, but I want to make sure I get my way. Because home life is about me, the husband getting my way. That's that's self-centered. So let's talk about what does this look like. Let's break this down now as we look at verses 25 through 27 of Ephesians 5. First, again, distinctly Christian. Love your wife by leading. Again, verse 25 that we read just a minute ago. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. Love your wife by leading. See, men, our job is to see that love is the governing disposition in our homes. That love is what drives everything. Love is what colors everything in our homes. Agape love, right? And and so it should be the governing disposition. Well, you, you ask, how do I do that? Okay, I'm glad you asked. So now I'm going to tell you, okay? So first... What we learned, and what I'm going to do now for the rest of this is take the things that we learned already as we went through 25 through 27 and at least a, a couple of lessons where we focused on Christ and His love for the church. And I, and I pulled those principles, those things out, truths about how Christ loved His church. Pulled those out of those lessons. And now I'm going to pair them up and say, okay, here's how Christ loved His church. And now, husband, how do you love your wife? Okay, and those are going to line up. Okay, So the first one is this. Jesus initiated love for his church. And I'm not going to go through the verses that we have already gone through, so I'll put them on the slides. You'll have them. You can go back or you can go back to those lessons. But he initiated love for his church. So, husband, you're responsible for seeing that love happens in your home. If love isn't present at any moment in time, It's your responsibility to initiate it, to see that love is happening, agape. And we're going to talk a little bit more and remind you what he means by agape love. But you need to make sure it's there and you must initiate it. Now, it doesn't mean your wife can't initiate love. You know, so, you know, she knows that she came home from a hard day at work and you're you're just exhausted. And she may do something kind, you know, to be a blessing to give you some time to relax or something like that. But... You know, if you come home and, you know, and the kids are out of control and your wife is frazzled, okay, then all of a sudden you have to initiate love. You don't wait for her to ask. You just say, come on, kids, scooping you up, we're going for a walk. A long walk and give mom a rest, right? And and so 
You must make sure love is the governing disposition in your home. And you know, wives, you, you must love too in your homes. You know, and, and even though it never says in the Bible, wives love your husbands, you can't get off that easily because you love one another. Oh, well, my husband's not a believer. Okay, well, you're to love your neighbor. He's your closest neighbor. And like, well, I really don't like him. You know, okay, well, love your enemy. You know, so you, you can't get around. You can't get away from it, right? <clears throat> you still must love too. But husband, your wife will learn to initiate love at times if you're doing your job well. If you're setting a good example for her, then she's going to imitate Christ just like you are. She's going to imitate you even. And just as Paul said, you know, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And so she will learn to start initiating love at times. But you, husband, are never to wait for her to initiate. And you may say, well, I've initiated the last seven times, you know, when there was a need or something. Well, too bad. You've got to do number eight, you know, nine, ten, and eleven. You know, that until, you know, as she's learning and growing and, and initiating them. <clears throat> But you're a responsible husband to see that love reigns in your home. Second, Jesus' love for us is eternally secure. We looked at that in Romans 8, beautiful passage. Now, husband, you know, your love is not going to be eternally secure. You're not God. But you should be faithful. That's what you should take away from that. You should be faithful. Hebrews 3, 6 tells us that Christ was faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are. So be like Christ. Be faithful over your house. You've been given charge of, of the, the headship in your house. So be faithful in it. Third, Jesus loved us even though we were unworthy and unlovely. And you know the truth. And God didn't look at us. Oh, my, my what, what wonderful people. I'm going to save them. No, we the Romans 5 passage, you know, we're, we're enemies, we're helpless, you just all, you know, we're not lovely, but Christ loved us anyway. Husband, you are to love your wife simply because she's your wife. Doesn't matter if she's worthy of your love. You are to love her because she's your wife. If you have a wife, you're commanded by God to love her <clears throat> And one of the most loving things that you can do, husband, is to continually point your wife to our Savior's love. To keep reminding her of our Savior's love. That's what Paul's doing here, right? I mean, he spent so much time talking about how Jesus loved his church. And so, husband, one of the most loving things you can do is keep pointing your wife back to the love of the Savior, and so, a key part of your job, husband, is to lead your wife to consistently delight in our Savior's love. Lead your wife to consistently delight in our Savior's love. Lead by keeping Jesus at the center of your home. Delight in Him together. Find ways to exalt Christ. He is worthy. And, uh, husband, I mean... When you walk into the room, you see your wife say, Jesus is good, isn't he? He's worthy of our praise. You know, that kind of... And you say, "Ah, John, that's not me. Well, guess what? It needs to become you. 
Now, you're not going to say it like the way I might say it or someone else might, but you need to find ways to exalt Christ regularly and help your wife to be thinking in those those terms, to be thinking of, of Christ and how worthy He is. That is leading. As I said, that, that's what Paul's doing here. Why does he spend so much time talking about Jesus when his point is supposed to be wives and husbands? Because Jesus needs to be the center of all that. So that we're all constantly looking at Christ in our homes, in our marriages. Because our marriage, and he's going to get to this at the end of the chapter. And basically he's going to say, oh, and by the way, this isn't even about you wives and husbands. This is about Christ and his church. Right? So we need to be constantly pointing our wives to Christ. You know, husband... You know, reach up and, and grab hold of, of Jesus' love and bring it down and, and spread it, disperse it throughout your home, throughout your marriage. May it color your marriage and everything that happens, all those interactions between you and your wife. And, and, and while we're at it, you know, spread it to your children. Tell them about Christ. But make that, make Christ the center of your home. The thing, it doesn't mean you, you can only talk about Jesus. You know, it's fine to talk about other stuff, but... If you never get around to talking about Jesus, that's a problem. If you're not leading and regularly pointing your wife and your family to Christ and His love, then that's a problem. But one of the things, and this is a, 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 a tip for you guys. Okay, we're going to get to the point where I'm going to tell you that Paul's telling us that we have to help our wives with their sin. Okay, uh, you're ready to run for the hills, right? Okay. <clears throat> But, here's the tip. If you're regularly talking about Christ in your home, then it's a natural transition to say, okay, honey, you know, we've been talking about how, how kind Christ is to His people. Kindness of God leads us to repentance. And, yeah. and then, later that day, something, you know, she's talking to you and it wasn't kind. You say, you know, we've been talking about the kindness of Christ. I, I didn't see that in the way you answered me when I asked you that question. See, natural transition, guys. Talk about Christ. It's not like it's just out of the blue, right? And she's like, where'd that come from? Well, that came from us talking about Christ and what he's like, what his character is. So that's a little little tip, you guys. You mark that down and remember it. You know, it's, if you do that, it makes it easier because it's a hard job, and you need everything you can to make it easier. Home life should revolve around Christ. So our second main point: we said that love by leading. Now love your wife by sacrificing. And we got a couple of points under that. We'll get to, but love your wife by sacrificing again. Ephesians five twenty five. Husbands, love your wives, how? Just as Christ also loved the church, how? He gave himself up for her. Here's an aspect of what makes our new covenant husbanding unique. Our perspective, our view of headship, this is what makes it distinct from the world. We do it for her. Jesus did it for her. 
says that here. Husband, love your wife and sacrifice for her. And a couple things I want to say about that. First, Jesus' love for us is the same love that the Father has for Jesus. So you see this principle of imitation going on. You know, Jesus said, what I see the Father doing, that I'm doing, that's what I'm doing. And, you know, so he is the Messiah looking to his Father and he's doing and, and behaving the same way. It's the same love. His love is agape. Um, and remember, we've said many times, and I, I keep drilling this in your head, hopefully it'll stick. You know, every once in a while I'll hear somebody say, you know, the, well, what is love? Well, you know, it's, you know, feeling good about, you know. Okay, giving, 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 right? Okay, I want to keep driving that into our heads so that we think in terms of agape is giving, right? For God so loved the world that He gave, okay? It's giving to meet the needs of those who are loved. That's what agape is, giving to meet the needs of those who are loved. So how is a Christian man's headship different from non-Christians who also practice male headship? There are millions of people around the world who practice male headship. Okay, but most of them are not Christians. How is ours different? It has to be different. And we gather from this that it is indeed distinct. To be uniquely Christian, husbands must lead their wives with the other-centered, self-sacrificing love of our Savior. Uh, Look back at the very beginning of chapter 5, Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Here's, remember, we're talking about, you know, walk in these different ways, right? Well, when we talked about walk in love. Therefore, be imitators of whom? God, as beloved children, and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. It's other-centered. It's self-sacrificing. That's the kind of love that we are to have for our wives. And it imitates God. It imitates Christ. In your headship, ask yourself, am I more like the world? And you pick whatever country where they do male headship. Am I more like them or am I more like Jesus? Because there, there ought to be a big difference. It ought to be very distinct. You know, you shouldn't look, well, those are pretty close. Because if they are, there's, there's some serious problems. And, and I know a lot of conservative Christians, you know, do use the term patriarchy. I, I don't. I, I don't prefer to use it. I find it too generic. Okay? Because if it can apply to unbelievers, I want something distinct. I want something that... that that says that my headship in my home is very different from what we find out in the world. And so I prefer to use the term complementarian. For one, it comes straight out of Scripture, uh, Genesis 2, 18 and 20, that the wife was, the woman was created as a helper who is complementary to her husband. So that's where we get complementarian from. Okay? But also... When those who who have established that concept of, of you know, this um, as a view, complementarianism, and those of us who teach it, what we're teaching 
is that our headship needs to be like Christ's headship. He's the head of the church, husband's head of the wife. And there should be this connection, you see, so that it's distinct. And that's why I prefer, and if you use the term patriarch, it's fine. But I want you to know why I prefer a different term. Because I want to bring out the distinctiveness of new covenant husbanding. Okay, So if we're going to try to learn how to be husbands, how do we do that as those who are under the new covenant? Now, there's, there's connections, obviously, with Genesis 1 and 2. Okay, it's built on that. And, and even what I was talking about, this just gives more, more color to what we're to do. But there's also some more distinctiveness because we're told to, to love our wives in the way that Jesus loved his church and died for her. You see, that's the pattern. So it gets more specific. And, and, and so I want to, to teach it this way and drive it home this way that our headship has to be distinctly like Christ and His headship. Husbands, Jesus' love is the kind of love that must reign in your home. It must reign in your home. Christ-like love, agape love, it gives oneself for the needs of those loved. Husbands, we must give ourselves for the good of our wife. And sometimes you hear this uh, expressed as we need to be willing to die for our wife. And, and while that's true, that isn't what Paul's talking about. And we, we wish it was, right? You know, because I, I think, you know, probably most of us, maybe all of the husbands here, you know, we would take a bullet for our wife. Okay? And I hope that's true. Um, that's not what he's talking about. Tim Challies clarifies this. He says, this is not this, this um, willingness to die, giving yourself up for her. This is not a one-time act where you get to go out in a blaze of glory and get written up in the newspaper. You know, you took a bullet for your wife, right? But a day-by-day dying to yourself for her sake. Remember, gave himself up for her. And he asks, are you willing to make those day-by-day sacrifices? Will you hold loosely to your time so that you can invest it in her? Will you let go of some of your dreams so that she can achieve hers? And of course, it has to be biblically defined, right? If she says, well, I want to be a pastor. You know, oh, no, okay, that's not going to work. Not that dream, right? Will you be utterly ferocious with your sin so you can be kind and gentle with her? And then he says, this is not a difficult burden, but a tremendous honor. And that's how we ought to look at it, man. I know it sounds pretty difficult. It might sound like a burden. But we need to get to the place where we see it as an honor. Okay, the second thing I want to say about this. Jesus carried out his sacrifice for us in joy. And this is new in this series. I hadn't talked much about this already, but... Remember Hebrews 12, 2, talking about Jesus, who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame. It was joy that was this operating principle in how he loved us, in going to the cross. 
knowing not only the, the pain and agony and the wrath of God being poured out on him, but the shame of it even. Because the cross was, was considered like the most shameful way to, to execute someone. And so, in light of all that, joy is what would drive him to give himself on the cross for his bride, the church. So, husband, love your wife in joy the way Jesus loved his bride. Make sure that your leadership is a source of joy both for you and for her. And, and we, we need to ask ourselves, you know, how do I do that? Can I do that? Will I do that? Because, you know, sacrificing yourself, that doesn't sound like much fun. This day-by-day day sacrificing your time, your energy, you come home and you've been beat up every which way at work and you're frazzled and you get home and your wife is frazzled, guess what, husband? It's your job to take those kids off her hands. And you're like, well, you know, we, we both had a rough day. Mm-hmm. But you're the leader. You initiate love. And you have to sacrifice. And work to make it a joy for you. That you do it in joy. You do it as Jesus went that joy. He's looking forward to what was going to come from this. That he was going to have a people for his own possession. That he was going to have a bride that he would make her holy and blameless. And, and he looks forward to that day in heaven which we still look forward to. Where his bride is beautiful and glorious and without spot. And he looked forward to that. So you, husband, look forward to what you're helping your wife to become as a Christian woman. Do it in joy. And make sure it's a joy for your family. Make sure it's a joy that your leadership, your headship, is a joy for your wife and your children, but for your wife. Now, granted, there are going to be some moments... They're not going to be joyful, right? Back to, well, honey, you remember what you said to me this morning? And that wasn't kind. And you need to recognize that that's sin. And, okay, she's not going to feel joyful in that moment, probably. Okay? And especially if that turned into a knockdown drag out, right? And so there are going to be moments that are not immediately joyful but if you've ever reconciled with your spouse you know that once you've reconciled there's joy right <clears throat> so it may not be immediate so don't get don't get too discouraged by that it will result in joy if you're working together in the lord but husband, make sure you lead with joy so that you bring joy. Now, what do we do? And, and this this is for all of us, but I'm talking particularly to husbands. And you, ladies can take this, take away something because it's meant generally. What do you do when your motive isn't right? What do you do when... You didn't have joy in your leading. You you led, 
but inside you were grumbling and complaining and anything but joy. Should you have just not done anything? Is God completely displeased and unhappy with you? Well, the Puritans are a great help for us. Puritan Stephen Charnock assures us of this in his book, Christ Crucified. There is not a service we offer. So it could be in our leading, ladies in your submitting, whatever that might be. But it has something mixed with it, with that service, contrary to the holiness of God. You know, some motive that's not supposed, that shouldn't be there. He says, yet the evil fumes that steam up with our sacrifices of duty, and I love this, are overpowered by the rich perfume of the sacrifice of the Son of God. Isn't that beautiful and encouraging? And so, you know, if you beat yourself up by, well, you know, I know my motives are never 100% pure. And I did the right thing, but I didn't have joy. Are you, should you discourage yourself? No. Now, work on it, yes. But remember, and this is so beautiful, because the sacrifice of Christ not only, in a sense, covers it, but, but he says that rich perfume of the sacrifice of Christ rises up to God and is pleasing to Him. You see, because we are in Christ. We're serving God in Christ. And so, He is always pleased with us when there there is a sense, I'm not pleased with what you just did. But we should never say, now He is displeased with me and doesn't want me around. God will never say, you know, as we sometimes maybe have done or our parents did, you know, go to your room, you know, because I can't stand to look at you right now. God will never do that to a Christian. You know, there, there may be discipline. But it's never true that he doesn't want to be with us. And so, this is encouraging to us. Okay, our third main, main, third main point. Love your wife by leading. Love your wife by sacrificing. Now, love your wife by serving. Continuing on here in Ephesians 5, verses 26 and 27. Jesus gave himself up for her, the church, that he might, here's the purpose, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and blameless. Love your wife by serving. That idea of, of washing her with the water of the word. Okay, that serving her. And you, you'll see this as, as I develop this. Adam failed to do this. He failed to lead his wife away from sin and toward righteousness. When, when the serpent was there tempting her, Adam... Apparently, was right there, the way Moses says it. And he should have, you know, not... We're not listening to that guy. Did you hear how he's talking about God? Honey, come on. Let's get away. And then let's talk about what God actually said. He didn't do that. He failed. But Jesus, the second Adam, has dealt successfully with his bride's sin. Did you notice what, we, what Paul said there? 
having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. So husbands, you're likewise called to imitate Christ, to lead your wife away from sin and into righteousness. In other words, you have to help your wife deal with her sin. And you're thinking, this just got really hard, right? Because she won't like it most of the time. There may be a few times where she's and pretty immediately, you know, you're right, I sinned, and thank you for caring and loving me enough. But that, that takes a little while usually for any sinner, not just a wife, to get to, right? And so, this is hard. And that's why Paul talks about the gospel there. The word, that's the gospel message. You see, that's what you're washing her with. And we'll talk about how in just a moment. But husband, you need Jesus. You need the gospel to help your wife because she needs Jesus and she needs the gospel. But it's your job to keep bringing Jesus to your wife, especially when you have to help her with her sin. It's not a, you broke my rule, honey. Mm. If it's your rule, it needs to go away, more than likely, right? You need to bring her Jesus and you need to bring her the gospel. We need the gospel. It's not just on how to get saved, okay? You need to trust Christ's husband in doing something that's, you know, hard. And wife, your, your wife is going to need Jesus and the gospel to help her with her sin. And don't think of just, okay, what are some practical things I can I can help her with this? No. Go to the Word. Look at the Gospel. That tells you how to deal with sin. How to help your wife with her sin. You wash her with the Word. Christ's love pursues the sanctification of His church. And think about the picture that Jesus gave us. Go, go back to John chapter 13. We'll come back here in Ephesians 5. But John 13... John 13, and at the beginning of the chapter, this is where we have that pretty famous uh, story about how Jesus washed his disciples' feet. Okay? And I know some churches look at that and they say, okay, that, that's just telling us that we need to have another, you know, practice in our church and we, we take turns washing each other's feet and that sort of thing. That's not at all what Jesus is saying. Okay? What Jesus is talking about in John 13, and we discussed this when we went through the Gospel of John years ago, but... It is about humbly helping one another deal with sin. That's what foot washing is about. That's what this picture is about. It's just a picture. Humbly helping one another deal with sin. So look at verse 6. So we jump in the middle here. So when Jesus came to Simon Peter to wash his feet, Peter said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered and said to him, What I do, you do not realize now, but you shall understand hereafter. And Peter said to him, Never shall you wash my feet. And Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no part with me. And because this is about dealing with sin, what he's saying is that if you have no place for sanctification in your life, then Jesus has no place for you. You have no part with him. Ongoing sanctification is an absolute requirement. Not perfection, not legalism, but dealing with your sin. 
growing in Christ, right? So Simon Peter, verse 9, said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, he who has bathed, that's talking about salvation. He who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, sanctification, to deal with his ongoing sin. But that person who is bathed, who's saved, is completely what? Clean. And you are clean, but not all of you, not Judas. Okay? It's about, this, this picture is about humbly helping one another deal with sin. Husband, have you ever washed your wife's feet? And I don't mean literally. Have you helped her with her sin? And do you do that regularly? How regular? As often as she sins. Now, not, you don't have to you know, go after her every little thing. But you look for those key things that you need to focus on. Honey, every time we this subject comes up, you get angry. Let's let's work on your anger, right? <clears throat> That's washing her feet. And in Jesus, in verses fourteen and fifteen, we're not going to read that, but it's the one another. One of the one another's in Scripture. We're to wash one another's feet. In other words, we're to help one another deal with sin. And what's the whole idea of the foot washing? Remember, it was the lowest slave in the household who had that job. And Jesus took that job. Why? Because he's dealing with his bride's sin. Husband, you need to take that job. Humble yourself. So you don't go with her lording it over and, you know... You humbly, you go to her humbly. Honey, I know I sin against you regularly. And I know sometimes the way I bring up that topic is problematic. See, humbly, that's the taking the log out of your own eye first, right? But you still have to go and help her with the speck in her eye. Now, remember I, I said one of the protests... You husbands may have as well. You tell me I have to lead my wife, but I don't know how. Well, biblical counselor Lou Priolo explains that it's probably not your lack of biblical knowledge that has kept you from using the scriptures to sanctify your wife as much as your lack of initiative. And he's right. Because if it's your lack of biblical knowledge, guess what? That's easily remedied, right? Go study your Bible. You can fix that. It's probably your lack of initiative. Now, you men may be wondering, okay, so how do I wash her with the Word of God? Some practical ideas. Well, Priolo in his book, and this is an excellent book, guys, uh, The Complete Husband. He also uh, recommend um, Stuart Scott's Exemplary Husband, both very excellent books. In this one, Priolo gives some suggestions, and I'm going to just mention a few of them. Provide for her to have plenty of time in God's Word. Okay, so let's, let's stick with that one for just a minute. Husband, if your wife is too busy to read and study her Bible, that's your fault. That's your fault. You need to do something about it. 
you need to make sure you help her with her schedule. You take some stuff off her plate. Maybe she isn't a, a, a good time manager, okay? You help her with that. You have to make sure she has time to read and study her Bible, okay? So you provide that. And that's part of being a husband providing, right? Providing for your wife and leading, right? Sacrificing, okay? You want to study your, your Bible every day at X time, okay? Then that's dad time with the kids, okay? That's how it works, sacrifice, okay? Spend time with her regularly talking about what she's learning, that is, in, in the Bible particularly, in her Christian life. What are you learning? Talk with her about it. Memorize Scripture together. Search the Scriptures together when you're making decisions. I mean, this should... There'll come a point where you, you know the principles, and, and that, but until you do, both of you get together. The husband, I know some of the stuff out there where guys are talking about this is how you do headship and all... They're like, you know, it's all, you know, husband makes all the decisions and he just said, this is how it is. I will study the Bible and I'll tell you how it is. That's not right. There's a oneness. We're going to get to that in a few verses, right? Not today. You say, honey, let's go get in the Bible. And let's find out what does the Bible say about this? What are some principles we can glean? And you think about the Sunday school lesson this morning, you know, knowing God's will. Those, those also apply to... How do we know God's will in this particular decision we need to make? Search the scriptures. Commend her for godly character you see. Well, I don't see much. Well, you need to look harder. Okay? Look hard. Sometimes you might have to look real hard, and it might be just a little bitty thing, but grab it. I praise the Lord when I see that in you. You say, well, that's not me. Well, start praising the Lord for it and then tell her. So it's true, Right? You gotta be looking for it. Use scripture to show where she needs to grow or change. So this is that part about the sin. It's not just your own, you know, thinking. What does the scripture say about her character and where it needs to change? Provide her with good Bible study tools, with good Christian books. And one more, and it's an actual quote from Priolo here. Be a good husband, be a good example, a model of a growing Christian yourself. That's your job. Okay, so one of the best things you can do is be an example to her of a Christian who's growing, who's studying, who's reading, right? Okay. <clears throat> Moving on. Another principle about how Christ loved his church and as he's washing her with the word. He set her apart so he can present her glorious. He set her apart so he can present her glorious. So, husband, be an effective instrument that Christ uses to grow your Christ in righteousness, in holiness, in godly character. And and you have a, a bigger impact than you realize, for good or for bad. R.C. Sproul tells us about this impact here. He says, After marriage, the biggest single influence on the development of the wife's personality and character is the husband. When a husband comes to me and complains that his wife has changed since they got married, I immediately respond, Who do you suppose changed her? In a sense, the wife a man has is the wife he has produced. If he has a monster, maybe he ought to examine his 
nature. The man is responsible for the spiritual well-being of his wife. Now, he's not denying the truth that your wife is ultimately responsible before God for her walk with him, her character. Okay. So, if you worked really hard and you've, you know, done, you've worked faithfully to help her and she still won't change, she has to answer to Jesus about that. Right? But you're responsible, husband, for faithfully working to influence her for good. Godly husbands can have wretched wives, and wretched husbands can have godly wives. Sproul is pointing out our responsibility as husbands and the impact that we do have on our wives. Okay, so wife, you know, you're not off the hook. But we do have an impact on our wives. We do influence them for good or for bad. You may say, okay, I have created a monster. Okay, there's time for change. In Christ, there's always time for change. Remember, forgiveness, restoration, right? Gospel, okay? Keep coming back to the gospel. And one more. Christ sets her apart, the church, so that she will be fully, so that she will fully manifest his character. He sets her apart so she will fully manifest his character. So, husband, impact your wife toward Christ-like character. So that's the impact, that's the influence you want to have on her, is toward Christ-likeness. Christ, husband, is your model for loving leadership. And Christ is the model for her and you on how to grow, how to change, what you're to be like. How should your character develop? So, husband, help her achieve that beautiful character. Help her achieve that beautiful character. The manliest man is the man who is most like Jesus. Why? Because he's the standard. He's the second Adam. He's what Adam should have been. The manliest man is the man who is most like Jesus. Guys, that's who we should be comparing ourselves to. Love your wife by leading as Christ leads. Love your wife by sacrificing the way Christ sacrificed himself for his church. Love your wife by serving as he served. And I want to turn to our time at the Lord's table by reading to you a familiar passage, Philippians chapter 2. And this gives us another picture, a snapshot of how it was that Christ loved us and how we husbands need to love our wives. Philippians 2, verse 5. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself, taking the form of a slave and being made in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. It was humility in serving those he loved. He sacrificed himself, literally his life, for those he loved. Husbands, that's our model. And let's all think on that, on Jesus, his humility and his sacrifice. Let's think on that as we come to the Lord's table.